National Museum was robbed early today. Crown jewels stolen? Correct, my friend. It's just what's written in those papers of Dr. Mabuza. Quite a remarkable coincidence. A coincidence, you say? You call this a coincidence? Of course. What else? This kind of coincidence just doesn't happen. I tell you, there must be something behind all this. There simply must be. Uh, Think. No two minds work alike. Let's suppose Mabuza is faking. Could be. Let's suppose all this time he's really been sane. Nonsense. Do you think that that after all these years of treating him, I would not be fully aware if he were faking? I mean, no offense. You recall he was a great hypnotist, an outstanding genius in that field. We all admit this. Maybe he has found a way. A way to send his thoughts out into space. Ridiculous. Ridiculous? It does not seem ridiculous to me. I'm a very simple man. I say that these papers of Mabuza's are a matter for the police. You are listening to They Must Be Destroyed on Sight. The following podcast contains adult language, adult situations, and spoilers for the movies discussed occur often. You've been warned. Now, take it away, Dr. Rausch. They must be destroyed on sight. Welcome back. It is episode 214 of They Must Be Destroyed on Sight. And in the opening, you heard the really bad English dub of, I think, the French version of The Testament of Dr. Mabuza, which is what we're talking about tonight. But I am Lee, pump the world full of dope Russell, and I am joined by two special guest hosts tonight from the Grind Bin podcast. First, we have Mike, devoid of justice and compassion, consisting only of selfishness, cruelty, and hatred would. How are you doing, sir? Ah, that's me. (laughs) All right. And we also have Bobby, a state of complete insecurity and anarchy. Trippet, how are you doing, sir? Oh, man, I only ever want to be introduced as that. On my own show, any other show I end up on, that was fantastic. (laughs) Do you have your own show? I heard you're only a co-host. I'm an occasional co-host. Yeah, occasional. Yeah. Let's get yeah. that right. Uh, Only on 200-something episodes, but, you know. Oh. <laughs> but, uh, Lee, it is an absolute pleasure to be here, finally. Yeah, it's great to have you guys. Uh, like I was telling you off the air, you actually saved the podcast tonight because uh, my usual co-host, Daniel, had to quit at the last moment. So uh, We were coming, and he crossed the other side of the street. <laughs> no he's he's got a more successful podcast that takes up more of his time so he <laughs> <laughs> will not lower himself but uh yeah no it, it's great to have you guys on um very uh grateful that you guys showed up and, and saved the recording this this weekend so that's awesome oh happy uh, to do we're also happy to get out of our uh our usual uh range of dates for the films that we cover mm-hmm. yeah uh you know, this this whole project we've been doing now with, uh, oh, we're going to go chronologically, you know, mostly chronologically and then start way back at the beginning of film and, and move through has been uh, 
been pretty rewarding. You know, it's it's worth to go back and and, and look at these uh, older films. Yeah, we're uh, not going to really talk too much about uh, a lot of preamble here. I do have uh, one comment uh, from a friend of mine, also called Lee, but this is a girl, Lee, and uh, she's commenting on an episode we did on I Am a Fugitive from a Chain Gang. After she listened to the podcast, she uh, ended up watching it. So uh, she said, I very much agree with how much uh, this movie, how this movie was made in the 30s and still relates to many issues we have currently. Uh, The beginning kind of hit a PTSD issue, which I believe was called Shell Shock back then, and how he never actually talked about it. Instead, he quit and ran away. Kind of makes me wonder if the actual guy was more affected by this than what was uh, lit on. Uh, Yeah, probably. Uh, They didn't really you know, they didn't really have PTSD. That wasn't a thing they talked about in the 1930s. Uh, buckle up. You'll just, you know, stop being a pussy, basically, is, is what someone would tell you if you, you came back from the war like that, right? She continues to say, uh, the movie actually hits on a lot of topics we talked about in the forensic psych class I took, which is really freaking cool because, again, this was made in the 1930s. Yeah, we, we talked about it in the episode, but a lot of the uh, issues of like military-industrial complex and how it relates to the prison system and imperialism and all that shit still continues today. Prisons are still shit, and they treat people like shit, and a lot of people who don't deserve to be in them are in them. So, you know, she says, totally love the movie. The podcast is really well done, by the way. You two hit, hit a lot of really good points. Uh, well, thank you very much, Lee. Uh, appreciate the comment there. So, yeah, we're going to move on to what we watched in the last little while. I think you at least have some things uh, to mention there, Mike. Uh, so I'll throw it over to you first. Yeah, I've been uh, revisiting a lot of Christopher Nolan movies that aren't Batman movies. So mm-hmm. recently, uh, my wife and I watched um, Interstellar, and then we went and uh, watched Inception. And I think it had been a long time since I've seen both of them, probably around the time either of them came out in the theaters. And uh, mm-hmm. I still enjoyed them quite a bit. In fact, I used to... I used to tell everybody that I didn't like Inception, but on my second viewing, years later, I guess the movie is 10 years old now or something, or getting close to it. Yeah. I actually enjoyed it quite a bit, so I thought it held up pretty well. The world um, fold, folded for you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At this point, it was uh, bizarrely a nice escapism from uh, what's been going on over here. So, <laughs> a better world you wish you could run through. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was like, get me in that limbo, you know? <laughs> Just spinning tops all over your apartment? Well, yeah. <laughs> this is the one on your desk currently spinning? What's going on? <laughs> uh, no, there's a there's a whole thing with that, too, by the way, that I, I started to question when I was watching it again. But uh, we don't have to go down that rabbit hole. I mean, you don't want me on this show for three hours, so it's not, it's not a grind bin episode. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, I got one thing I'll mention. Uh I watched I've been trying to like watch stuff from Hammer that I haven't seen before like, you know, just not necessarily oddball Hammer movies, but just the way DVD companies and stuff are, they've only exclusively had like, you know, the rights for a while to certain Hammer series and movies and you, and you see them repackaged and redistributed from different companies all the time. So you get like all the Dracula films, you get all the Frankenstein films. You get outran the uh, out comes the devil or whatever the fuck and, and some shit like that, right? All all the classics that everyone loves. So I went and uh, watched Hands of the Ripper from 1971. Ooh, and uh, this one's interesting. It is kind of an oddball in the in the sense that like a lot of the cast and the people behind the scenes aren't your Hammer regulars. They move from uh, I can't remember if it's Bray Studios to Pinewood or Pinewood to Bray, one or the other. 
the, the, this is right around the time they changed the production. It's actually a really good film. Pleasantly surprised by it. It's, it's one of their goriest, if not their goriest films. Uh, I think Scars of Dracula might have them beat. But this was around the time when they were upping their gore and their titty quotients and all that shit, right? Not a lot of titties in this one, but uh, a lot of gore and uh, a lot of graphic uh, kill scenes, too. But it's much more psychologically complex than a lot of their films. It's about the daughter of Jack the Ripper basically starting to kill. And, like, there's a question of whether it's the spirit of Jack the Ripper from hell making her do this or if she's just mentally unbalanced. And there's this whole uh, plot point of the... Uh, this doctor who takes her in and he's trying to use the mess methods of uh, Sigmund Freud to try to like get unlock her mind and maybe cure her of what he thinks is a mental illness. And the movie wisely kind of never gives you a concrete answer. It kind of hints that it could be supernatural or it could be all in her mind. And uh, I thought it was really, really well done. And I think people who haven't maybe watched it should uh, pick it up and, and check it out. Damn, Lee, you just sold the hell out of that thing. I'm like <laughs> pulling up my Amazon right now. No, I'm going to mute with for those hammer films. Is there somebody who's treated the releases right? Because I know with a lot of the movies we cover, you know, they pass from company to company, like you were saying, Lee. Yeah. Yeah. You know, for example, Mill Creek. Mill Creek, you know, like 100 can, movie box sets. They can just F off right now the well, way I they mean, treat movies. Well, I but mean, it, it depends. Not. It it, de- it depends with Mill Creek, right? I mean, some of the some of their stuff in the last few years have been really, really, really good. They got well, their act together a little bit, but some of these collections I have, I'm like, oh come on! Like I have older versions of the movies that have been handled better, right? Like you you can tell which ones they they cared about, yeah, <laughs> movie wise. But it, it, isn't Mill Creek the only way you can get like the a really good version of the uncut version of uh, like the pom pom girls and, uh, and you can get Van Nuys Boulevard with the commentary. Yeah. I have like older versions of those, like when they were in those packs, you know, like when they first were released on DVD and I feel like they were first ones. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like those are much better when they went to Mill Creek. It was more, they just slap whatever version they could I find mean, on. I've on literally watched movies on a Mill Creek box set that had a tracking issue. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, yes, yes. That's... Like the, the screen went blue for a second on the DVD. <laughs> <laughs> so with Hammer, do you have a recommended version you should seek out? Uh, well, the one I watched was, uh, it's currently on Shudder right now. So if you got Shudder, you can just ah. uh, get right into it. I don't know if Shudder has the region code problem between countries, uh, like Netflix does. I assume they probably do. But, That's um, my assumption as well. Yeah. Yeah. Is this where we uh, put in a, uh, a VPN commercial on your show, Lee? Or? <laughs> no. Uh, but uh, have you heard of Sax Underwear? <laughs> <laughs> but... but uh, to what you were initially saying, though, I'm shocked that we haven't gotten the Arrow box set yet of a bunch of a bunch of Hammer films. Yeah, because I the the rights I think are like split all over the place. Like I think maybe Universal still has some, and then Warner, and like like they're just all over the place. Um, uh, actually, I think is it is it no no Mill it's actually it's actually fucking Mill Creek. Look at uh, that. They're, they're releasing. They're releasing a <laughs> they're releasing a Blu-ray very soon. Uh, it's going to be about a hundred dollars or something like that. Twenty films, and it's all like mostly obscure Hammer films that have not really ever been released by anyone else at this point. Wow, good on so, you, Mill Creek. You've read my letters. 
We can move on from this, and now, since uh, both of you guys are new to the podcast, this is your first time on, uh, you get to uh, take part in the tradition of playing the movie God game. Are you a god? When someone asks you if you're a god, you say, yes! Movie God. All right. Uh, oh man, are, are, are either of you fam- are either of you familiar with the movie God game by any chance? Uh, no. Think, no, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So uh, basically, what this is, you guys are the movie God, and I'm going to give you two things movie related. So it could either be actors, movies, people who do the scores for movies, anything like that, and you have to eliminate one of them from the timeline. You have to. Basically, wipe them out, kill them. They never existed, and um, you have you have to you know consider the consequences of this thing. So, the person you take away, the movies they did might still be for the most part in existence, but it might be different actors in their roles, and they, okay. course, and they might be better or worse for that, right? So, you have to consider these things. So, I'm going to go with Mike. And I'm going to give you two choices. And these have uh, these have been uh, sculpted around the grind bin to base this on sort of grind bin favorites. So uh, okay, so you you got to kill your darlings here, basically, kind of thing. So uh, Mike, you are the movie god, and you must eliminate one of these two popular actors who feature in a lot of episodes of the grind bin. Some of your best episodes. So you must wipe out either Linda Blair. Oof. Or Charles Bronson. Oh, whoa! <laughs> Damn, Lee, what the hell? Yeah, Mike, which hand are you gonna cut off? <laughs> I'm this sorry, Linda, that... you gotta go. Oh, really? <laughs> that quick? <laughs> I mean, there's no way we get rid of Bronson. Like, I'm afraid that he, even if he's dead, I'm afraid he'll come after me if I said his name like that. This creates a, a butterfly effect. Man. If I understand how the game works, so mm-hmm. you know who who stars in Savage Streets, Mike. Well, I mean, other than the Exorcist, are we really going to miss anything? You know. <laughs> what about Hell Knight? In, Come on. Who stars in Savage Streets, Bobby? Well, yeah, I mean, I think play, that's who pretty takes easy. If she's not there, well, obviously they just cast uh, Linnea Quigley, who was her sister in that movie, right? They just oh, gave now her the starring role. Yeah. Yeah, now they're twins. Oh, I kind of <laughs> like that, you know? And uh, or, Linnea gets her turn to be, like, the badass, right? Like, the female version of Cobra. I like it. Is that the film that skyrockets your career and she ends up doing, like, legit movies instead of a bunch of B-movies for so long? Yeah, maybe Linnea Quigley is just Linda Blair. So she just gets, like, <laughs> you know, one step up. Like, she was the person in Exorcist. You know, she plays Regan. She's... Playing twins in Savage Streets, I'm all for it. And she doesn't treat people like shit at conventions. Yeah, that would be great. And uh, <laughs> when I go see her for a Q and A, bring a dog. Yeah, <laughs> when I go see her for a Q and A for The Exorcist, uh, she won't ramble on for two hours. That'd be great. <laughs> all right, I, I, I like the choice. I like the choice. Uh, 
pretty quick on the ball though for it. Uh, usually, yeah, this he, is supposed to you know make you suffer. <laughs> That's the point of this game, right? He had no problem just pulling the lever of the Blair. Yeah. Well, as soon as you said Charles Bronson, I heard a gun click, and I was like, I know <laughs> yeah. my answer, Chuck. Don't worry. About I heard it. you were gonna cancel me, Pally. Yeah. Don't think too long, boyo. You know, Bobby hasn't seen it yet, but uh, remote control soccer ball just kind of went past the window. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Bobby, it's your turn now. And you are the movie god. And this one not only uh, incorporates two actors, it's two actors who starred in the same film together. So you have to really consider how this film would change depending on who you wipe out. Oh, so you must pick between Isaac Hayes or Yafit Koto. Oh man, <gasps> who do I get rid of? You better pick right. <laughs> <laughs> and keep it. And of course, the movie we're referencing here is Truck Turner. Of course. And think about who was in line to star in this film before it went to Isaac Hayes. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. It would have, it would have had to have gone to one of them. And so, uh, I think without question, I, I'm getting rid of Isaac Hayes. Question: Does that also remove the theme song? Well, of course it does, because Isaac Hayes is gone. He never did. So, he never, oh, no. never existed. I, I didn't just remove him from the project. No, you. Man, you, I think you, you've you, altered the course of history without yeah. the Shaft song. I don't know, Bobby. Yeah, no. I, Isaac Hayes is that? totally gone from the par- timeline. <laughs> does, wait, does that mean that whoever I replace it with also had his music career? Maybe. Okay, oh, so man. if we're thinking about the people who almost got the role, that means Chuck Turner went to Ernest Borgnine. <laughs> which means Ernest, Ernest Borgnine sang the theme to Shaft. <laughs> and then Ernest Borgnine played Chef on South Park. Wow. <laughs> wow. What do you think? Can you give us a rendition of the Borgnine version <laughs> of the Shaft theme? <laughs> I don't really have a Borgnine. Do either of you? I mean, it would more be like Shaft. Yeah, you know I'm who, talking about him. Thanks, <laughs> Ernest. Who was that white private dick who's a sex machine to all the chicks? Watch your mouth, Shaft. <laughs> Damn right. <laughs> <laughs> Just eyebrows wiggling would be amazing. Oh, but we still get Yafit and Alien and everything. I'm happy. I couldn't. I couldn't. I get, we get Rafa, We get Yafit and Running Man. I can't remove him from that. Oh I mean, that, man! That, that oh my performance. Gosh. That's right. That's right. And uh, I, I would also like pull. Uh, I, I can't think of like homicide life on the street without Yafit Koto as well. Ooh, so yeah. yeah. Well, what, what's the uh, James Bond one? Is it? Uh... It's uh, Live and Let Die. Live and Let Die. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Youngest Bond Bond villain of all time, Yafit Koto. <laughs> now, if I had if I had chosen Yafit Koto, would Borgnine have replaced him? Oh man. yes, <laughs> Borgnine, the so, oldest Bond villain of all time. <laughs> so, Truck Turner, but then Borgnine is Mister Blue. Hold on, James, let me get up. Hold on, <laughs> I'm coming. Just fight one of my henchmen for a while. <laughs> I like a Bond villain where he keeps having to like get out of a chair. You know, <laughs> <laughs> and I gotta say, the outfit's a bit much. <laughs> This is Tweed. What are you talking about? <laughs> I really, I'm really mad now that I didn't get to see this alternate universe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but uh, that, that's that's one of the things. This is this. Uh, if if it doesn't immediately make you uncomfortable while trying to answer, it should haunt you in your dreams for weeks to come. You know. Oh, it's gonna. 
Yeah. <laughs> assured. This, this will be with me next time I talk to you on our show. I, I'm I'm gonna have questions. Okay. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's only fair I'd be subjected to the same thing. So yeah, we'll have to put one of those together for you. <laughs> All right. So we're gonna take a quick break here. I would usually play a podcast promo, but the grind bin does not have a podcast promo. Yeah, we need to do something about that. Yeah. So well, here's well, a promo for you, real quick. Check out Lee on our latest episode of the Grind Bin, which is the guy from Harlem. We recorded it a long time ago, but it's coming out in coordination with this episode. So, like, how well does that work out? And, and you know uh, that we appear on each other's shows the same week. Yeah, we didn't plan it, and we just sort of fell into it like bumblefucks. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, <laughs> So if you're a fan of, of either set of Bumblefucks, check us out on the other one's show. Yeah, and the guy from Harlem, you don't have to check the movie out, but you should at least listen to the episode, I'd say. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, we're going to we're gonna take a quick break here. And what I'm basically going to play is I'm going to play the opening, closing music for The Grind Bin, and it will give you people out there, if you have not listened to The Grind Bin, for some weird reason, an idea of what they kind of cover. Hey, Bobby, I got the money. Yeah, I need the key. You're a hooker. Get that goddamn thing out of your mouth. I said it, hacker. I don't know. Spooky got no, got, got, no, got no, got no real rhythm.
Okay, The Testament of Dr. Mabuza from 1933, also known as The Last Will of Dr. Mabuza and The Crimes of Dr. Mabuza. And, of course, this is directed by Fritz Lang. If you don't know who the fuck he is, stop listening to the podcast. I I don't know. Get away. Um, I don't know what to tell you. Figure it out. Yeah. uh, It's written by um, Fritz Lang, Renee Stye, and Thea von Harbaugh. It is based on the novels and the character created by Nobert Jacques. This is actually sort of loosely based on an unfinished novel that uh, he was doing at the time. Um, I guess Fritz Lang basically... It was like, hey, you doing any more of that Mabuza stuff? And Norbert Jacques was like, I'm kind of working on some stuff. And have you finished it? No. Well, why don't you stop doing that shit and just give me your, like, Cole's Notes version of it, and I'll make a movie out of it. And that's kind of <laughs> what happened here, I think. Now, if you want to see that depicted, there was a biopic called Norbert. Oh, was there? Uh, Eddie Murphy made it. And uh, <laughs> I believe that, that talked about that. Wow. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> was 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 Eddie Nerd? <laughs> did he play Fritz Lang? <laughs> he, he did. He did. And he, yeah. he meets he meets Norbert. I think. I don't know. I didn't see it. I bet it was better than his Dolomite. <laughs> better than his Rudy Raymore, I should say. But uh, this is starring Rudolph Klein Rogue as Doctor Mabuza, and he starred in ten films for Fritz Lang, uh, including uh, Doctor Mabuza, The Gambler in uh, Metropolis and Dr. Mabuza, the gambler um, is basically the first in this series, which was like a four hour epic that was split into two movies. So we're here 10 years later, basically uh, after that Otto Wernick as inspector, Carl Lohman. He is a crossover character from another Fritz Lang film M from 1931. And he would go on to have a pretty distinguished career. He was also in, I don't know if this is the original version of this but it's one of the early ones at least titanic 1943 wow yeah maybe he was just on the titanic you know (laughs) (laughs) yeah this movie was uh one of those that's ripped from the headlines (laughs) tommy bordelli i I probably fucked that tommy it might be like thomas might be as professor bomb one notable thing i saw him in uh in a series that's Kind of one of the inspirations for Dr. Mabuza as a character, uh, Phantomas from 1932, which is the uh, sort of famous pulp French criminal mastermind. Mm-hmm. If you want to see a, a great adaptation of Phantomas, they made a trilogy of films in the 60s in France. Yes, yeah, yeah. Gustave Diesel as Thomas Kent, uh, Monique Roland as Lily. One guy I want to mention here, especially uh, Rudolf Schundler as Hardy. Uh, he would go on have a long career after this, and he had a pretty interesting like horror exploitation career at the end of his career in like the sixties and seventies. Uh, he's been in stuff like The Red Queen Kills Seven Times, The Exorcist, Suspiria, and The American Friend from nineteen seventy seven. Uh, do you either guys know that film? The, um, I don't know that one. It's one of the uh, early versions of the uh, Thomas Ripley saga. It's an adaptation of uh, a Thomas Ripley book where uh, Dennis Hopper plays Thomas Ripley. Wow. Yeah. That's cool. Theodore Luce as Dr. Cram. Jim Gerald as Commissioner Loman. Oscar Hawker as uh, Brito. And Theo Lingen as Kredzitsky. I don't know who any of those characters are. And I've watched this movie (laughs) a long lot of times. (laughs) Yeah, I can't pull it either. If I could drop back to our, uh, our titular Dr. Mabusa. 
mm-hmm. uh, his career, you know, cause he, he played some big parts in those movies that you listed. You know, he, yep. uh, he was the mad doctor uh, in, in Metropolis. Yep. He was Dr. Caligari. Like this dude was a big deal as an actor, but his career actually kind of went off a cliff right after world war two because he actually joined the Nazis. Yeah. He stayed like, I think it was either his wife was Jewish or he was half Jewish. And he basically paid them off to look the other way and continue to work in Nazi Germany. And I think it it harmed his career post-war. Yeah. (laughs) That he really, he ended up, you know, falling into obscurity. Yeah. And I think he died in like 55. 55. Yeah. I think a heart attack or something, but uh, yeah, he, he's one of the, uh, had one of the unfortunate fates from this. Uh, A lot of these people actually, as we progress on, like early on when we were doing like the super early films, it's like this guy died at 32 of lung cancer or alcoholism or heart attack or, you know. Um, yeah. As we're going on here, a lot of these people actually lived on until like the 80s and 90s and had fairly long careers or at least, you know, had lives. One thing that Rudolph did pull off, though, I mean, credit where credit due, he married Fritz Lang's wife. Oh, yeah, that's... Fuck. After, yeah, after uh, who also ended up being a Nazi sympathizer, and yeah. uh, and after that relationship dissolved because of that, she hooked up with Doctor Mabuza, <laughs> man, <laughs> and they just went off being Nazis together while, while yeah. Fritz took off for other countries. Oof. Yeah, they. So we have a little synopsis here. I can't remember where I pulled this from. It wasn't IMDb this time. IMDb ones were shit for this one. They were bad. Inspector Lohman receives a phone call from an old colleague who has evidence of a counterfeiting ring. The colleague is killed before he can tell Lohman anything more. That's not true. You just fucked this up. I didn't. I should have proofread this because he's not dead. Lohman's investigation reveals the activities of the organization of his old rival, the criminal mastermind, Dr. Mabuza. It's also not true. Uh, (laughs) What the hell? (laughs) What the fuck is this bullshit? It's not his old rival. He never encountered him before. Yeah. Uh, However, Mabuza is now locked in an insane asylum of Professor Baum, where he sits in a cell obsessively writing screeds of plans for criminal operations. Loman realizes that Mabuza has mentally controlling Baum and using him to plan a scheme to plunge Germany into chaos via uh, orchestrated acts of sabotage. Yeah, okay. You got hmm. a little bit right at the end there. That's yeah, fine. Grazed it. Yeah. <laughs> Got a piece of it, as they used to say in Little League. Yeah. We'll just get into sort of general thoughts here, and uh, I'll throw over to you first, Bobby. I really loved this. This was uh, just, I, I had first seen this uh, several years back during a blood donation. So, oh, yeah. uh, But uh, one thing I liked about the presentation of this is, uh, I'll start with talking about the presentation, is that it's very pulpy. It feels like a comic book. Mm-hmm. Or even, you know, it felt like such one of those old adventure serials. Like, I half expected a uh, department store mannequin with a cape to fly in through the window. And then suddenly, oh, it's Captain Marvel, and he's here to help out. <laughs> um, and I really liked that about it. Mike, you want to you tag in, talk about what you thought? Sure, I thought this movie was terrifying. Terrifying. Yeah. Fritz Lang, a uh, master of including messages within his movies at a time when uh, we were just heavy on exposition. This is, uh, man, there's a lot of things going on in this movie that reminded me of things going on today, and it was very terrifying yeah. to me. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, well, because, you know, this was made when the Nazis were rising to power. Yeah, so this was made, I believe, probably made during 1932. In 1933 is when it said it was released, but it was not released because this movie was actually banned in Germany. 
Yeah, it might have been, it might have even been filmed a bit earlier than that because it set on the shelf because Goebbels, who was like their propaganda head or whatever, is like, not nah, fuck that, you can't can't release that. But hey, Fritz Lang, would you like to be the official Nazi director? <laughs> <laughs> and as Fritz tells it, uh, the the. Uh, it's a hell of a conversation that comes from yeah. that because he says back to him, he's like, well, I got to let you know something. Uh, I don't think I'm who you're looking for. Cause you know, my mom's Jewish <laughs> and uh, Goebbels said back to him, we decide who's Aryan. Yeah. Yeah. That was it. Wow. Whether that's true or not, that's terrifying. Yeah. And that's when he went home and packed a bug out bag. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Well, Cause 1933 is the year that uh, even though they were a minority party in Germany, the Nazi party was able to take full control and become the only party, the only political party in Germany. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Not yeah. a great year. Some people sort of speculate, Oh, is it intentional? Yeah. The comparisons to Hitler in this are fairly intentional. I think, I mean, oh, yeah, I think they're overt, like kind of like how we look at Metropolis now and be like, how did people not see this? <laughs> <laughs> they did not see it coming. Uh, the, the implied similarities between uh, Mabuza writing his Testament of Crime or whatever in this film and Hitler writing Mein Kampf, I think, are pretty bloody obvious. And, and I think that's the, the symbolism at the end mm-hmm. when, when the texts are being torn up. Mm-hmm. There's a number of moments throughout this movie where he's just uh, he's given a big middle finger to the Nazis. Yeah. Mabuza and Hitler, both their sort of ability to manipulate through fear in a sort of post-war Germany, which, you know, is devastated by war. There's a socioeconomic situation here due to the war and also his own criminal empire in the previous movie that's, you know, just been crushing Germany. And now he's, you know, using this to start his, in, in the film, you know, it's Mabuza starting his organization of crime, but you can, you can just totally like transfer that over to the Nazi party, you know, riling up the normal common Germans like, Hey, we should do something about this. You should join the Nazi party. Yeah. As Mike was saying, which makes it so terrifying to watch it now. Yeah. Yeah. Especially because you like, this was made prior to 1933. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, like, all the things here are warning signs. Yeah. And then after this movie is purported to actually come out, which it doesn't come out, right? Yeah. It's all come true. So yeah. It's <laughs> terrifying. <laughs> and when you take this, you know, Mabuza's writings are initially depicted as, like, well, the rantings of a madman. And then as time goes on, people are able to understand them, decipher them. And then becomes an ideology. It's yes. the uh, it's a comment on the normalization of yeah, things right. as they just keep going on and on. Eventually, that doesn't sound so crazy. And that's yeah. why I'm watching it, going, "Man, this is uh, this is quite the movie." You you guys nailed it. The underlying message here. I love this film not only for that, but just for right off the bat, he's Lang's. You know, this is probably the last great Fritz Lang film, honestly. Which is interesting, he, too, right, Lee? Because, like, everybody... We hear a lot about M, you know? Mm-hmm. Which is also... It was made, I believe, before, before this, right? Yeah. It was and his that, last film prior to doing this one. M was, like, a huge, you know, Criterion release. And this, I also believe, has a Criterion release. Yeah, doesn't I got it right next to me right here, yeah. But definitely not as highly, like, lauded as M. But I would say maybe I enjoyed this movie even more. I think oh, people... I, right- I agree with that completely. Yeah, I, th- I think people write this off as, you know, oh, it's it's based on pulp character stuff. 
and they, they kind of think, uh, and, and also the, it has a reputation of having a bunch of films after it that are Mabuza films that don't live up to this. Like some of them are really good, but they, none of them actually live up to this film as far as what Lang's doing here. Yeah. And that's in part what I was saying, like, this is probably the last great Lang film and where he's still really doing really cool things with his style and his tropes. Something he actually, a technique he actually kind of started in this film, which is his sort of visual oral rhyming technique, which um, where, where you have a transition from one image to another that's connected somehow. And or you have sounds doing a transition bridging to another scene. So like in the opening here where he's using sounds where you just hear this crazy thumping from something going on in this factory or beside this factory. And it's literally shaking the room and you see this guy and he's got a gun and he's nervous and you have no idea what the fuck's going on. These two guys come in. You have no idea who they are in relation to him. You can't hear them because this background sound is too loud. And so in effect, you're kind of watching a silent movie still and you have no concrete idea what's going on. And another example of this, though, is like, uh, especially as a transition, you have the ticking of the... So later on in the film, uh, two of our characters here who are the, you know, the love story in this film, they get trapped in his room, and they have three hours to live, and it starts filling with water. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's the ticking of the clock or whatever to, you know, to torment them, basically. It's like tick, tick, tick. And immediately transitions to one of Mabuza's goons uh, cracking on an egg with a spoon. That, yeah, yeah, that's a, that was just a great way to to blend that. Yeah, and, you know, the, 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 to what you were saying, Lee, about you know the uh, still feeling like a silent film. I mean, that opening scene that they just drop us in. Oh, you know when uh, when they spot like his you know his foot out from behind the thing he's hiding behind. Uh, oh. I expected a black card to come up <laughs> with the look afoot. Yeah. 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 The way Fritz Lang chose what sounds for us to hear and what sounds not to hear. Like he's not interested in background dialogue. Like if he wants you to hear dialogue, he'll let you hear it. But otherwise he, he's very selective because once this, this guy who we discover is this ex cop who was disgraced because he took a bribe but he's trying to redeem himself by like investigating this counterfeit money business going on. Uh, and he discovers that, hey, it's Dr. Mabuza is actually behind it. He escapes from that building and he goes running. You don't hear his footsteps. Uh, the, the sounds you do hear are like the sounds of the uh, barrel that these guys run off a truck at him to try to I kill looked, him. It was like Donkey Kong. It was yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And you have you have one of the rare um, special effects that Lang would use that wasn't like an on screen like in camera effect like you know you can you can obviously see that it, it was done you know it's like a composite thing but it still looks really good the exploding barrel and then like everything the the whole the whole set is on fire um, yeah well I gotta say Bobby those composite effects because we did that beach party movie. Uh, Fritz Lang did it better in 1933 than they could in the 1960s. So yeah, fuck Absolutely. you, Frankie Avalon. <laughs> yeah, you're no Fritz Lang. <laughs> Not that Frankie Avalon had anything to do with the production of that film, but you know, fuck Yo, you. Frankie. You guys never saw like the remake of Metropolis starring Frankie Avalon. <laughs> <laughs> and Ned Funicello as the robot. Absolutely. I mean, she already had the hair. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, like the whole design here, like he, he still got 
little bits of like his uh, and uh, Fritz, Fritz Lang, you know, he, he gets lumped in as German expressionism. And I mean, I think that's correct, but Fritz Lang always sort of pushed back against it. Like, I don't really consider myself part of that. And while that's true, he, he you could definitely see in the work that he's inspired by it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It, it's still here in places, right? I mean, when you get that, that shot where the the detectives open the door and it's like we're at right. a tilt, we got the long shadows. I'm like, come on, dude, this is textbook. Yeah, you get the POV of the uh, the now crazy, disgraced uh, detective who's, you know, something about like Mabuza's spirit or just the fear of being caught by Mabuza turned just turned him totally crazy. Yeah. And he's he's imagining all this stuff. Like he hallucinates a desk in front of him with a phone. And then it, we get a shot of him. Oh, no, he's just on this bed in this cell. And uh, the the inspector comes in and there's all these weird like distortions and um, images that's not really there. Mabuza's spirit taking control of the doctor in his office takes these weird shots of like weird masks and stuff like that. And you see... Uh, you see Mabuza, the doctor sees him, and it's from his perspective. And Mabuza's brain can be seen through his head, and his eyes are bugged out. What the hell of an effect? Yeah. 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 I was about to say that exact sentence. It's just, wow, for 33. Mm-hmm. It and, looks, uh, still looks cool today. Like the way that yeah. he has that like bizarre glow coming off him. And I loved it. And I, I just loved, like, you don't, you don't see him talk, but you hear his voice, and he's like, you know, the empire of crime and stuff like that. And again, uh, like I was saying, hands of the Ripper where it's like, you don't know if Jack the Ripper is, is real, you know, still influencing his daughter or not. This movie, I I, I would argue it actually does, you know, tip you off by the end that Mabuza's spirit is doing this shit, but it kind of strings you along for the longest time. You can interpret it as it's not Mabuza's spirit. It's just the obsession with him that is changing people and and letting them continue his work and his words. Yeah, I think the underlying message is clearly like you can't kill an ideology, mm-hmm. right? So like once it's infected in the minds of people, whether you have the figurehead or not, there's no way you can actually completely extract it. Yeah, and so no matter what you do, Mabuza's going to live on. Yeah, but for the sake of this serial movie, yes, it's his spirit. That's I mean, it, it, it def- <laughs> I mean, I mean, the the movies that come after this, you know, um, even even Fritz Lang's last sequel to this, uh, which was his last film in uh, 1960, The Thousand Eyes of Doctor Mabuza, pretty much confirms, yeah, it's his ghost. You know that that kind of shit, <laughs> but but uh, but here, you know, they they sort of leave it up to interpretation. You get basically that the idea that uh, Mabuza is really kind of a symbol, an ideology of, of like sort of modern terrorism, like crime using psychology and technology, and planning on a level beyond what anyone had sort of did before. And it kind of, and again, it kind of, it kind of reaches into the modern world. Like imagine someone making a Mabuza movie now. Where they're using like social media and shit like that, you know. Well, it's funny you say that because apparently Christopher Nolan and his brother used a little bit of it for Dark Joker. Joker. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that was one of the trivia things I pulled up here, right? Like uh, the Dark Knight Features version of the Joker, inspired by Mabuza. Um, apparently, Christopher Nolan was like, he told his brother, "Hey, watch Doctor Mabuza, and then write the Joker, <laughs> you dumbass." <laughs> it's like. Oh, you wrote Memento for me? What have you done for me lately? Fucking, <laughs> I'm, the, I'm the guy making money now, bitch. 
you know. <laughs> well, I, apparently his brother's doing a uh, Sphere miniseries for HBO, which I'm very interested in. Now. Oh, man, all the Wait. Sphere heads are going to be excited. Hey, Wait. you know, even though I know everybody hates that movie, that's a guilty pleasure for me. I fucking love the premise of that, so. I don't it's... hate that movie. I I actually, honestly, the only thing I hate in that movie is probably Dustin Hoffman because <laughs> every scene he's like, oh, that's not good. Like, no shit, dude. <laughs> well, I thought the funniest part of Sphere is when, when um, Liev Schreiber goes in and he goes, Basura. And, like, I saw that movie in high school. I'm like, that's just trash in Spanish, man. <laughs> <laughs> like, how do these guys not know that? <laughs> I think the, the the premise behind that movie is actually really good, but that movie is like, we're not doing that. <laughs> yeah, no, but I'm really excited to see this miniseries coming out. So. I imagine that'll be the serious version of Spear. Yeah. Did you guys notice, by the way, like, this is one thing I wanted to point out um, in this movie that I don't think I've... This was one of the greatest film devices I've seen, is when he takes the shot of that gun at one location where a man shoots himself, and then almost seamlessly introduces us into the police station with it. Yeah, that's uh, yeah. that's an, that's another one of his uh, rhyming techniques, right? Well, that's the visual uh, version of it, where it's like he'll bridge scenes with things that seem related but aren't necessarily related, or you find out they're related afterwards. Like, there, there's a lot of, like, Fritz Lang fucking strings you along in this film in a lot of different places. Like, he, he's taking you on a fucking ride here, and... And you no. can't say like ahead of his time or anything, but definitely like a master filmmaker. Absolutely mm-hmm. knew how to use images and sound to coerce an audience, right? And like right. especially with whether or not they agree. Obviously, they don't agree with his movies, why the reason this movie wasn't released. But mm-hmm. they would definitely try and get somebody who's a master propagandist on their side for the Nazi party. I think it was Lang himself said like, yeah, Hitler really loved my films or something like that before this. And who knows if that's true or not. But like, you know, the, the Nazi party, they saw talent. Like, you know... <laughs> They, they they knew the kind of people who knew how to make films and the ones who stayed on with them made their propaganda films, right? And Yeah, Lenny uh, Riefenstahl being probably the most infamous, right? Yeah, and then everyone else basically left Germany because it's like, fuck this shit. Who apparently got her start acting in like those German mountain movies. Have you heard of those? <laughs> German uh, mountain? So, oh, Bobby, this is, is crazy. Is this, is this like pinky films? No. So, like, the Germans used to make all these movies, like how we have westerns. They would oh, make really? movies about people conquering mountains, like oh. white men conquering snow capped white mountains. Yeah. Huh. Okay. In being like this, like, bizarre dominance type of thing they would like to portray in movies and uh lenny riefenstahl actually got her her start acting in those apparently oh because that's that's nothing what i thought you were talking about i was thinking an early version of like pre-code uh like swedish sex films you know yeah (laughs) no no they were it was just like in america we'd have our uh our westerns in germany they would have their mountain movies where these group of people would go and conquer a mountain oh well very uh very teutonic of them i guess yeah (laughs) so what what do you guys think by the way like um so this is proto-noir like you you can't like it's it's kind of a splitting hairs thing generally most people think you can't really say this is noir until it's like 1941 or something 
like no. that. What, um, would, what would distinguish it in a way that would uh, exclude it from being called a noir film? Um, see, that's the thing. I I don't really 100% know that, but I just know that a lot of people really don't want to call anything from the 30s noir. They just want to call it proto-noir. And it, it sounds like a bunch of bullshit to me, honestly, because I think <laughs> I think the, the whole this whole uh, love interest angle with uh, the Thomas Kent character and Lily and him wanting to escape Mabuse's gang. Like that's a little mini like noir film from the fifties stuck in the middle of this big epic crime movie, I think. Absolutely. And then uh, you you even have like the disgraced detective who's trying mm -hmm. to, trying to make good by solving this case. And, and, you know, we get like a bitter ending yeah. It, it, it doesn't all get wrapped up in a nice, but I mean, this is absolutely a noir film. Yeah. And I mean, this movie ends on a very pessimistic uh, note. And I mean, here's something, this isn't just another trope of Lang's where in almost every fucking movie he did uh, from M up to his like Hollywood career, the police always fail. Like they, they fuck up and fail. Like uh, they fail to catch Mabuza in this. And it, it's just criticism of the failure of the police and government to like to stem the tide of the increasing corruption and uh, you know groundswell of nationalistic jignotism in in this uh, society, man, like fuck Fritz Lang. <laughs> yeah, it's like I'm a I'm at a loss for words. Like if Daniel was here, he he would manage to like make paragraphs that make sense, <laughs> get articulated say, a little better. Yeah, he would say stuff that was smart. But yeah, um, so you got these three goofballs. <laughs> well, you guys are doing a good job in, in Daniel's place, I will say. Um, but uh, stuff I really like here, um, you, you get all the police uh, procedural stuff. So you, you get more like the you see it in M, but uh, there's a lot more here of, you know, like crime lab shit. And it's like, take this window pane of glass that's been scratched on and analyze it and blow it up and stuff. And, and honestly, the. Uh the way that that progresses, that the plot progresses would work now. Mm -hmm. You'd only have to kind of update the dialogue, but like everything about the way this flows and everything works today. Yeah. And also I like, and this is kind of a trope that would go on into the other Mabuza films as well. The criminals. And also it's actually in the, the, the Christopher Nolan, Batman, uh, dark Knight film, uh, the criminals questioning who they're taking orders from. You know, the, the unseen puppet master behind the curtain, which is also probably a Wizard of Oz reference to some degree, I'd say. Well, they named the character Bomb. Yeah, so, I mean... After the author of the Wizard of Oz. Oh, well, there you go. It's, but, um, yeah, that's the reference at the end because of the way that flows. It is reference to, the at that point, the book, The Wizard of Oz, because the movie didn't come out till 39. Just the criminals questioning who they're taking orders from. Like, I, I watched a couple of these other Mabuza movies... And they all pretty much have this in it. Who's this Mabuza guy anyway? Don't question it. Just take his orders or you'll end up mm. like the last guy and get killed, you know? I love that scene. This is another f scene that uh, Fritz Lang actually copied in his uh, in his next uh, film that he did in 1960 in this series. The uh, traffic assassination where they're they're stopped in traffic and they have the car horns going and they're they're, they're blasting almost like this sort of sympathy uh, just fucking honk 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 almost turns into a song and then that guy assassinates from the car behind and kills that doctor he did that in the 1961 too and i thought it was really well done oh it, it so is like i would have believed that the same kind of scene would have been in like a a late 90s brian singer film 
know, it, <laughs> yeah, well, I was trying to think of a better late 90s director than Brian Singer. But well, I got hung up on Usual Suspects. <laughs> I guess, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of interesting when you see, like, the first Mabuza movie came out in 1922, right? Yeah. So... The Mabuza series almost follows the rise of the Nazis yeah. and Hitler for quite a while there. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, they're they're commenting on that in, in these two films, Mabuza the Gambler and then this one. And all the ones that sort of follow, they're much more pulpy. Like they're uh, after the 1961 that uh, Fritz Lang did, there was this whole new series of Mabuza films that were made in Germany. And they're all like, they're more action adventure, almost like James Bondy kind of films in a way. And oh, so you mean they took a very politically charged movie and they're like, yeah, but let's have like the fun parts, huh? Exactly. Get this shit was, out of here. Uh, uh, you want to know who did one of these films? It's probably yeah. not considered uh, part of the official series. But uh, Jess Franco made one oh in 1972. Wow. And this is one I want to see, The Vengeance of Dr. Mabuza. And so uh, Mabuza just became like Django or Emmanuel, huh? Just... <laughs> uh, I, I, think, I think in that one, Mabuza's like abducting hot women because of course he is. Can you imagine just... like Fritz Lang just be, being like, yeah, forget it. <laughs> oh, man. I, think, I mean doctor was dr mabuza and the bikini machine i think maybe it's kind of that because he's got like a he's apparently he's got like a frankenstein's monster like thug working for him oh abducting God. women and stuff I, I need to see this film we have gotten a real long way from <laughs> they hollywoodized mabuza right Fritz Lang goes Hollywood. He comes here. They take the character. Then he goes back to Germany. They're making all these like bizarre, you know, Mabuza abducting hot women in bikinis movie or something. Yeah, I think that, I think that one was long after his death too. So it's like, you know, it's like it was good. Jess Franco. He's not doing anything, right? He's only making he's, he's only making five films this month. Right. Throw another one in there. But man, I, I love. I can only imagine if Fritz is sitting there watching, uh, you know, Mabuza's getting away with a jetpack. <laughs> I mean, just think about the idea that this man who made the most communist movie of all time in Metropolis was given, like, hey, why don't you come to Hollywood, huh? Yeah. Make some of these. Knowing what happens with that industry a few years later, mm-hmm. it's crazy yeah, I, to me. I, I, don't, mean, I, I don't think he's. I don't think Fritz Lang was too enthused about his later half of his career. You can, you can kind of see, like I said, this is probably the last great film he did. You can kind of see like there's a marked sort of like difference in the stuff he made in Hollywood, right? It's still great. Like a lot yeah. of the stuff he made is really great, but it's like it's not the yeah. But the, you know, those producers stuff. Lee yeah. are just like yeah. Nobody wants to hear about like unions. Yeah, you know, huh? Like, but you get in uh, some of them bikini babes, huh? You ever seen Frankie Avalon? Why don't you work with this guy, huh? Fritz Lang sitting in the office at Crown International. <laughs> now, listen, Fritz, you got to really up your portfolio here, man. You got to like, you got to, you know, you know that uh, that Funicello. She might get nude for you, huh? Come on, Come on Fritzy baby. Can, oh, it's just can... the story. This is a story as old as time, guys. They take oh. somebody who's a true artist and they're like, "Yeah, but how about this fun movie, huh?" <laughs> I want to see. <laughs> I, I mean, I want to see the Fritz Lang surfing movie now. Like that, 
Oh my god. And it has just like a secret communist message underneath it. I love it. Surf's up, Dr. Mabuza. <laughs> Frankie Avalon. Point. Frankie Avalon wants to like, you know, seize production for the for the fucking workers, you know. Okay. <laughs> and featuring Don Rickles as Dr. Mabuza. <laughs> oh shit. Um yeah, you guys got any final thoughts on this film you wanna I think, like, again, I, I said it was one of the scariest movies I've seen, and that's only because of, I guess, modern context. But also, like, just this idea that he's on to something very, very right about this. And it's not it doesn't even apply to Nazis in general, but just, like, ideology, right? Like, so right. once dangerous ideology gets into the zeitgeist, right, and, like, it starts to infect the minds of people who are desperate, and that's what we deal with in this movie a lot, right? It's mm-hmm. like everybody who's part of this crime ring is basically somebody who's lost their job and has nothing left. So they have nowhere left to turn other than this way out. Right. Right. And what's so I think poignant about this and, and makes this movie stand the test of time is that like, you can never really kill an ideology. This movie deals with it in a way that I've, I've truly never seen any other movie do this so effectively. And I think what makes it scary is that, it's just so accurate and like what people could perceive as being just a fun police procedural or a pulpy movie has a really, really deep disturbing message hidden underneath it. And yeah, I I think that uh, that dichotomy is what I love most about this movie is that they made it a kind of a fun adventure film to discuss that. Yeah. And it's about one hour in where you're really like, Whoa, okay yeah because you're kind of wondering like where'd all these pieces go together and i think it was at the point where somebody had said to that doctor you know like hey what we previously thought were scribblings are actually this plan Mm -hmm. and putting it together and coordinating with the newspaper and all these things and you start to see that like a certain group of people are able to decode these what was previously thought of the writings of a madman right yeah that it was really like, oh shit. Like he's he's onto some real metropolis level stuff here. Yeah. And the fact that he was making this in Germany while, you know, you're dealing with the, the Reichstag fire and Nazis taking over and like this is a really bold thing to do. Fritz Lang didn't give a fuck. Like <laughs> like just going to like, you know, the, the way he did special effects in his films, usually, you know, you don't get the composite shot like you do with the exploding barrel. I think, I think probably he was voted down on that one by some people. Like we're walking off this film. If you do that shit, he probably <laughs> wanted to do the exploding barrel because he usually did most of his effects like in camera. So like that chemical factory that uh, blows up and catches fire at the end of the film, that was actually an old, munitions factory and apparently fritz lang was the guy who started the fire in it and filmed it (laughs) on camera so (laughs) apparently he's known for uh incidents of like endangering cast and crew in some of his films because he was like no we're doing it real so so i mean fritz lang i mean he had an eye patch he's obviously tough right (laughs) he's basically snake plissken making movies in the 30s And I mean, we're talking about like a, an era where people people are killed for doing stuff like this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and there's... he's doing it without any sort of fear. Oh yeah, you know what? I'm gonna make a movie that's like totally anti-Nazi and yeah. just it didn't make it through, right? But 
it was close enough to I imagine where I believe it was uh, G- when Goebbels said no to this movie. It was because they were, quote, afraid that it was going to incite people to do terrorist acts. Yeah. Is there yeah. official reason? Right. But like he's a hell of a hell of a way of uh, hiding his messages in movies. And again, like a modern audience can detect them pretty easily. Right. I was right. trying to correlate, you know, as I'd read pretty much the, the first time you hear Mabuza speak. He is, uh, as I want to understand, almost verbatim just echoing phrases from the Nazis at the time. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. talking points, bits of speeches and stuff like that, like that he had taken that from there. And in hindsight, that sounds so obvious. And I wonder if someone had done a movie now where they did that and had a character just kind of speaking the same things almost verbatim. Would they have picked up on it immediately that, oh, he's talking about that, you know? I think you'd end up with a lot of people who end up like Dr. Bomb is like, you know, usually, you know, an educated, rational person who sort of falls into obsession on the words of this guy. And is all of a sudden he's like, no, this guy's a revolutionary whose ideas are needed to cure society's ills. So we should listen to what he has to say, you know, kind of thing. Yeah, I think like uh, Fritz Lang's movie is like, you know, for example, Metropolis, right? Mm-hmm. that movie came out and everybody was wowed by the visuals and like when we watch it as a modern audience you're like man this is a real like the themes of this are real thick right yeah like there's no hiding it but it wasn't necessarily perceived like that originally right no, like people no. were not seeing it like that but he is a master at being able to like coerce an audience mm-hmm. and i think in the wrong hands that's an incredibly dangerous thing as we see with the Riefenstahl films for Nazis, right? Obviously triumph of the will being the most prominent, which is you always, you always watch that and you're just like, yeah, I understand this is propaganda, but it's just like a political speech. Right. Right. But but you look at like something that Fritz Lang made. You're like, if this was in the wrong hands and the wrong ideology, this is dangerous stuff. Yeah. 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 And I mean, it's, it's just a shame. Like, you know, think of what Fritz Lang would have made in Germany if, you know, the Nazis had not come to power. I mean, do you think like if this movie actually got released and like, obviously you're not going to be able to change the minds of enough people. Right. But can you change the minds of a, of a few? Can you get them to kind of have moments of self-reflection? I think you can, but I think all those people probably already left Germany too. Right. Yeah, Yeah. But it's like, it is this thing of like, you know why the Nazis banned this movie. Yeah. Because they saw it as being an incredibly dangerous thing to what they were trying to do. And I believe, like, what? It didn't even get shown in Germany until the 50s? Yeah, not until... uh, 51? 51, yeah. And I believe they destroyed most of it, right? Yeah, this... There's like an hour missing from it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, well, uh, the original version of this is 124 minutes long but and and the one the the criterion release which is excellent kind of like pieces together different uh masters and just copies and stuff they found and cleaned up and and the one the, the criterion ones like 122 minutes or 121 something like that so they they didn't lose much like they found most of it but uh the one that was shown in germany was 111 minutes so there's quite a bit chopped out of there like there's it was there's, the bikini caper part of it <laughs> yeah <laughs> and here's my amazing bikini machine yeah the nazis get a hold of it they're like well this is the part that's getting out of here everything with this ideology no problem with that but those but that bikini robbery no thanks fritz the part you didn't see of the room filling with water is that that was just for the bikini <laughs> babes to surf in that was, that's what that was 
the, the North American version of this, which is basically just a dubbed version of the French version of this, uh, the uh, simultaneously shot French version with like mostly all new actors in it. Uh, yeah, because... that was crazy, right? So he reshot the whole movie with the French guy. <laughs> like, so what? That was uh, like one take and be like, all right, get the new actors in there and action. It's, that was, the, old, it's the Godzilla trick. Yeah, that, that was an old common uh, thing they used to do back then, though. Like, man, do you think they have a Raymond Burr version of <laughs> <laughs> it's always Raymond Burr for some reason? <laughs> it's like, nope, uh, I, I can I can stand Godzilla. I can't stand the Nazis. I'm out of here. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, the. Uh, the the North American version, which I pulled the opening clip from, which is you know the English dub, basically, it's it's interesting. The the, the French version of that is you know different actors, but it pretty much looks exactly the same. But it's like half hour shorter. So huh. that's really interesting. I'm I'm going to watch the French version. I've only seen the you know one the 121 minute one. Yeah, the, the the French comes on like if you have the actual Criterion Collection DVD. This is not on Blu-ray as far as I can see. Not yet, no. I hope they put it out at some point. Yeah, if you got the two-disc from Criterion, it has the uh, French version as a special feature, but not cleaned up, of course. Right. The the only thing they did for the French cut, Lee, was put more baguettes in it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, unfortunately, you couldn't see them because the the version, the French version, of course, they didn't clean it up. It looks like dog shit. Like, it's bad. Well, they they started rubbing baguettes on the camera and everything. They were going a little too far, you know? (laughs) You can almost smell the bread. It's really... It's like, French, um, you really want us to do this? (laughs) Yeah, whatever. Whatever, French guy. Just do it. (laughs) No one's going to see this shit anyway. Uh, so something I want to bring up, Lee, was uh, I don't know if you saw this, too, but the scene where we're trapped uh, in a cell of sorts, we're trapped in a room and, and you know, the filling up with water and that whole terror. Mm-hmm. That's just saw. Yeah. I mean, James uh, Wan, you hack. <laughs> fucking James Wan, your career is abolished. It's... Also, by the way, did you see underneath his desk? I think I saw a little trike, guys. <laughs> oh, they pull the curtain back for Dr. Babusa and there's a puppet on a tricycle? Oh. It was uh what the hell's that puppet's name? If man was here, he would know. <laughs> it's Billy. Okay. Billy. I just yeah. always call him Saw. But I mean that's I mean, oh, oh weird. There's there's like a rip-off inception here because I mean that that's just a rip-off of the puppet from fucking uh, Deep Red. It's kinda. true. So, so you, it's... you can Well, I mean, if we're gonna go off on James Wan for a second, um the ghost hunters from the uh from insidious <laughs> they are in the entity yeah yeah like it's clearly them so like he just lifted shit from every, all of his favorite things he's like tarantino yeah and it's like james one you didn't even put the fucking rape in your movie like the entity had what the fuck <laughs> I don't think I want Insidious to have a rape scene. I, yeah, I cannot no, see. Does. There's not a single part of that movie where that would be okay. <laughs> no, that's that's all kinds of levels of terrible. It's already terrible enough in the Entity, so yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, unless we have anything else to uh, say about this one, guys. Um, I, I think that about covers it for me. I'm really uh, I'm really glad that we did this to give me a reason to, to rewatch it, because I hadn't seen it in several years, and uh for such a terrifying subject matter for today, it's just still so damn well made. It was such a, a blast to watch it again. Yeah. This is the first time I've seen it. Thoroughly enjoyed it. I've seen M a few times. Mm-hmm. I actually prefer this movie. Uh, this is great. So thank you, Lee, for having us on. And um, 
actually, when you gave us the list of movies to pick, I, I told Bobby, I was like, eh, I trust you with whatever you pick, Bobby. <laughs> Mike's like, I could care. And he comes back and he's like, how about a 1933 Fritz Lang? And I'm like, oh, Bobby, you know me too well. <laughs> no, nothing Mike loves better than yucking it up to some Fritz Lang. <laughs> yeah, they're funny Nazis. Yeah, good stuff. Uh, no, I'm, I'm glad you guys uh, both had fun on this. Really glad you guys showed up. It's great. Uh, this was great. Have you. We'd love to do it again sometime. Yeah, uh, I mean, you've you've got access to the list, so anything jumps out at you. <laughs> if you want to show up like next week, that's fine with me. <laughs> just, just let me know. So, uh, I don't know who wants to do it. Maybe, you know, the uh, occasional co-host or maybe the actual host of The Grindman, but uh, pimp your shit. Mike, where can people find us? Well, hey, you know what? If you want to hear Lee on our show, Look at it's this. the Grindbin podcast, and uh, <laughs> Lee will be appearing on our show for an episode we recorded a while ago. But it's a real like we've been holding this one in our back pocket here, and uh, the guy from Harlem that was I be- that was a classic recording. Absolutely, this it was a hell of an episode we did. We had such a great time, and it really is kind of like a fine wine, man. I think that thing's. You know, <laughs> So if you're hearing this right now, uh, yeah, or as it comes out, rather, this very episode, uh, our episode with Lee is coming out in a couple days. Yep. Yeah. The same week. And uh, it was a lot of fun. We covered the guy from Harlem. We cover all sorts of movies. Lee, you have p- appeared on the grind bin a few times. What was the... The Yesterday, was machine. Yesterday, yeah, the yesterday machine. Yesterday Machine. Another I Nazi that movie. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a theme with me, guys. So. Yeah, why, why is it when we come together... <laughs> Remember when the guy from Harlem fought the Nazis? <laughs> oh, give me that movie right now. Doc, uh, uh, the guy from Harlem fights Dr. Babusa and the Nazis? I'm all in, man. Oh, man. <laughs> and Dr. Babusa and the Nazis hire a bunch of rednecks to keep a girl hostage in a shed. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> uh, but yes, our, our podcast covers all sorts of, uh, you know, movies in line with Fritz Lang's later career. Right? Like, we got a lot of bikini movies, you know? We got yeah. a lot of... Uh... Yeah, if you love 1930s German cinema, you're going to love the movies we talk about on the grind. <laughs> no, we cover uh, the depths of cinema, I would say. We cover uh, drive-in fare from the 60s through even the 90s, I'd say. Mm-hmm. Even though one of our uh, frequent co-hosts, Tanner, gets really upset if we cover anything past 1980. Uh, but yeah, check it out. But... Grind Podcast. Yeah. Uh, we'll put all the uh, requisite links down in the bottom of the show notes there for you guys. And if you want to find more of this shit uh, from this podcast and our other podcasts, go to tmbdos.podbean.com where you can find our Facebook, Apple Podcasts, YouTube links. Join the Facebook group if you're so inclined. That's the best way to get in contact with us and uh, let us know what you think and give us film recommendations and all that other good stuff. Um, not a super active group on Facebook, but it's a Nice little pleasant small group, and so far, no fucking assholes. So, I mean, that's batting 1,000 on Facebook. That's, uh, But, uh, yeah, Bobby, Mike, thank you very much. Uh, it was an absolute pleasure to have you guys on, and hope to have you on again soon. Absolutely. And, thank uh, you. Of course. Thank yeah. you, Lee. And uh, thank you, everyone, for listening, and we'll see you again. Goodbye.
Thank you for listening to They Must Be Destroyed on Site. For further episodes, our Apple Podcasts, Facebook, and YouTube links, please go to tmbdos.podbean.com. Thank you. Drive through. What have you made Ernest Borgnine uh, Harvard Blue? That'd be so cool. <laughs> that scene where he shows up and he spits on the corpse <laughs> <laughs> at the funeral. He really puts a he really puts some fucking hootspaw behind it, you know. <laughs> like we got a full we got like a patooey when he does. It. Yeah. <laughs> you can shoe shine that guy. <laughs>